0: Filibuster, filibuster freestyle, filibuster, filibuster. Watch out for the filibuster. Filibuster, filibuster, filibuster freestyle. It's the filibuster freestyle. Filibuster freestyle. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's your buddy Gavin. It's been a long time since the filibuster freestyle has done a Facebook Live. My apologies. I've been a little busy. But that's okay. I'm sure you've been busy too. Um, What we're going to do today, very quickly, is do the beginning of what will be this week's podcast for the filibuster Freestyle. Obviously, you can find us on filibusterfreestyle.com, And um, we're going to just put the first part of that podcast right here on Facebook Live for all of you to say hello to us as we say hello to you. And uh, one of the things I want to mention off the bat is, speaking of folks who uh, would like to say hello to us, and I would like to say hello back, Places listening, very, very eclectic group of places listening this week, the nation of Uganda, on the great continent of Africa, the Ukraine, Poland, and then Brunei, or Brunei, Darussalam, which is a little, uh, tiny country, which is on the island of Borneo, and the island of Borneo is shared between this country, Brunei, and then uh, Malaysia, and I believe parts Indonesia. So... One of the more far-flung places listening, and if you look at uh, that country, which happens to be kind of in the South Pacific Ocean, if you will, and then you look at Poland, and you look at the Ukraine, and then you look at Uganda, not even Cotton America, you're all over the place in a very good way. So we appreciate you listening. Unofficial sponsor of the week this week, Meat and Potatoes, the restaurant in downtown Pittsburgh. I'm just going to say it. One of the best meals I've ever had in my life, Friday night there with some of my buddies. We were in Pittsburgh for a work thing. It was fantastic. Meat and potatoes, big time. We're fans. Uh, There's a place at the District Hotel, I believe called The Whale. It was very good. The brunch was very good. Two issues. uh, On a Saturday morning, they didn't have any ham for the Eggs Benedict, and they didn't have any Bloody Mary mix, but it was brunch. just seems like two things you want to make sure you have. All right, here we go. One hot take here on the video, and then for those of you listening, we'll do the rest of the podcast. Got some NCAA thoughts and some other interesting thoughts as well. But um, what we're going to do here for the Facebook Live is as follows. Winter Olympics. It seems like 10 years ago, no one even knew what curling, the sport of curling, was. And then I remember in 2010, Vancouver Olympics, uh, curling kind of blew up. I think maybe because, one, we all had digital cable. Two, um, because the Olympics were in Vancouver, they basically were able to air all the Olympics live. So even curling became exciting. So curling kind of blew up here in America in 2010. Momentum kind of kept going uh, in Sochi in 2014. And then gold medal performance from the men's team just the other day in 2018 in Pyeongchang. So Americans go to South Korea probably about a year, sorry, 10 years after people in America even knew generally in the consciousness what was going on. Puck dog's watching, good to see you Puck dog. And uh, bottom line is we got a bunch of American guys winning curling, fantastic stuff. And of course the United States has embraced and risen to the top in what I would call affectionately an activity sport. Um, You know, you've got the Norwegians excelling in sports that are exceptionally taxing physically like Nordic skiing or scary as scary can get like ski jumping and the Americans are like, that's cool, we'll try that but we got this activity called curling. Let's get awesome at that, because that's what we do in America, because exercising in the snow, not really our thing, collectively, as a nation. Doing something cool to pass the time, like skating some shuffle, giant shuffleboard pieces down an ice ramp while some dudes sweep it, that's pretty much the next thing uh, you would do, besides like broom hockey, if you had you know the curling apparatus. And my guess is you can probably do other things while you're curling, like, I don't know, smoke a cigarette, drink a beer, be on your iPhone, (laughs) all things Americans like to do when they're kind of killing the time doing something else. Ski jumping, not so much. Not really a good time to check your Instagram status. Jumping off the jump. However, be a dope pick until you crash. Um, Couple ideas then on other activity sports that America clearly would excel on relative to everybody else. Help us pad our medal stats. Some of these would be summer, but anyway. I've seen on ESPN2 or ESPN News in the dead of summer the World Beanbag Toss Championships. And I think, actually, the man watching right now, our buddy Andrew Patterson, uh, we talked about this last time. But we also talked about uh, the fact that people call that cornhole. How is cornhole not an Olympic sport? It should definitely be an Olympic sport. If curling is, it has to be an Olympic sport. Uh, another one that should be an Olympic sport is beer pong. Beirut. They don't even have to put beer in the cups. I'm just saying the skill needed... To do that and do that well, totally worth watching. If curling can be a phenomenon, so can that. Uh, I would draw the line at darts. However, I don't know if I can because every time I go to Europe, darts is literally. Well, wait, it's, just, it's, just, it's just, just in, excuse me. Andrew Patterson said something about the Canadian Olympic curler from the 70s who's actually smoking and drinking during it. And Andy Maslin's watching and if I know that darts is a pro league and it should be a summer game. The point I'm making, made by the listeners and the pundits. That's fantastic. Okay, ladies and gents, I will say this. Congrats to the men's curling team. Completely awesome you won that surprise gold medal. But in sports that Americans do try as hard as they can at to exercise in the winter, hockey, big respect to the women's team. First gold medal since 1998 in hockey. Stopped their arch rival, the Canadian Street, at 4.0. Gold medals, didn't let them get their fifth in a row. Good job by them. And a sport that we all actually can agree is not an activity. It is definitely a sport. However, gold medals, a gold medal. I'm looking forward to the beer pong edition 2020, Tokyo. It's not too late. For those of you listening on SoundCloud, keep listening. And for those of you watching on Facebook Live, good to have you on. All right. Now that we've gotten the Olympics out of our system, uh, we're going to move on to some other topics. And if you're already listening... Get some lighthearted takes on some outlandish sports Some thoughts on curling And maybe the general uh, fitness level of uh, winter athletes around the world And Americans really being suited for curling All good things Um, What we're going to do next If you're looking at the title of this track uh, We're going to talk a little NCAA We're going to talk a little NRA So that's the National Collegiate Athletic Association And the National Rifle Association Now, these are two areas that get very, very Uh, They turn into into flashpoints very quickly. I'm going to do what we usually try to do in the filibuster freestyle, which is to do it in a way where I'm actually not going to try to crush anybody from an ideological standpoint. I'm going to maybe look at some uh, outlandish observations of the facts, or at least the facts I understand them. And if that's not your cup of tea, as always, feel free to push stop right here. And enjoy the, uh, our hot takes on bobsledding from early, earlier. I do want to thank my cousin Barbara Bruker uh, my buddy Andy Maslin and our very own Andrew Patterson, all three of whom were uh, participating in my Facebook live piece which you can see on the Facebook page of the filibuster Freestyle facebook.com freestyle, and of course check us out on SoundCloud definitely subscribe on iTunes and leave a review, it helps other people find us and we really appreciate that and, of course, there's always a good time going on at filibusterfreestyle.com. Um, and for, heck, for heck's sake, which isn't even a saying, but for heck's sake, uh, follow me on Twitter, at Gavin Viano, and um, you know, we, can, we can chat 280 characters at a time. I do want to say, because I did listen to a bit of the playback of my Facebook Live, for some reason when I'm on the Facebook Live by myself, I really rush it. And so I'm going to try to not rush it here in the audio piece. I'd say um, back when I first started the show a few years back, Uh, I only do the show by myself. And so I think I got into a decent rhythm eventually of speaking fairly slowly and not being too hyped. But for those of you who know me personally or who watch the Facebook Live videos, I can't really help but be hyped. So anyway, I noticed that from earlier. So let's maybe, I'm gonna hit the slow down button here. We're all gonna have a much easier drive to work maybe than the first few minutes of the pod. Uh, I'm not apologizing. I'm just critiquing my own work and my own excitedness for better or for worse. So NCAA scandal. We've been knowing, we've known for a while. It's been known for a while, excuse me, that the, the FBI has been sitting on, after conducting for many months, certainly if not years, uh, a ton of information related to men's basketball and agents, coaches, and others directing certain recruits to certain places taking money, giving money to student-athletes to come to certain schools, et cetera, et cetera. We had a big, old bombshell drop just over the weekend here in that Arizona coach, um, I'm thinking his brother, Archie Miller, Sean Miller. Sorry, Archie. Archie's in Indiana now. Sean Miller, uh, it sounds like they're allegedly, or the FBI has proven that that his voice is on a phone during a wiretap talking, unfortunately, about um, a six-figure sum of money being directed to a recruit. Again, I'm not going to try to be salacious. I'm just going to say the facts to understand them. He did not coach last night when Arizona played against Oregon. To hear the folks from ESPN talk about it yesterday, Jay Billis, Seth Greenberg, etc., on college game day, doesn't sound like Sean Miller's coming back from this, at least not right back from this. So I don't think I'm talking out of school or, or anything like that. But I really want to talk about that the answer to a lot of this pay-for-play stuff can really, I think, in an outlandish way, but also in a somewhat pragmatic way, be brought back to a simple concept known as capitalism, in that there are only so many student athletes who are, I don't wanna say worthy, but who could command getting money for the use of their likeness or for them to be an endorser of something. Just like in the NBA, for instance, everybody in the NBA is drawing a salary and that's great, but not every one of those people uh, has a ton of endorsements, but they're all free to go out there and get their endorsements. If you, you know, I watch TV all the time here in Charlotte, and there's a bunch of guys in the Carolina Panthers who are not superstars, but who the local car dealerships will use because, one, they're probably cheaper, but, two, the Panthers fans know who they are, and so you might not use the starting fullback of the Panthers for a national Jeep or, like, Chrysler ad, but for somebody who owns a local Jeep Chrysler dealership, the starting tail, fullback, certainly, or tailback definitely, is more than fine. And so that guy can go out there and add and supplement his salary. Now, I think there's an inherent value to going to college and getting a degree and getting a scholarship, etc. cetera. Um, but there are definitely many, many players who probably can go out there in the open market if they were allowed to and have third parties give them money to endorse, to do things, to show up at parties, to promote parties, to sign autographs, whatever it is. I'm not saying we need to do this or don't need to do this. I'm just saying that there's a market for local celebrities, if you will, to make a little extra money doing things on the side. And so instead of not letting these people use their likeness at all, even though they're in almost every case over 18 and in the public eye, not letting them attempt to utilize their own likeness for their livelihood, it seems like a really... Pragmatic measure we could remove and then get a lot of this dirty money out of the game, out of the system, and away from these kids. So, I got a few thoughts I've written down. That was all a vamp. Uh, and I just want to kind of take you through it. So, again, and there's always those commercials the NCAA is 400,000 student athletes, and most of us are going pro in something else. This is true, including most of the guys who play basketball. Most of them, some of them might play in Europe, most of them aren't going to play in the NBA for sure. And even if they do, they're going to have a fleeting career because it's hard to be a professional athlete for a long time. So, the guys who have that platform, I don't see why we can't let them use their likeness. This is an opportunity to get the dirty money away from them. It's an opportunity to let them endorse for local businesses in the university's area, which only strengthens the community's feel for the university, for the establishments, for the players, and for each other. You could let them become endorsers for the university sponsors, which only helps you again, instead of a faceless university you have the face, the player people really like saying, yeah, come to this this pizza place, whatever. Again, this is all speculative. I'm not saying all I'm saying is it would make sense for a grown-up who has a platform to be able to use that platform to maybe make some money in an above-board way in which they pay taxes and learn things like how to manage money, how to build a brand. And if appearing in a local pizza shop ad is a problem, that's a problem in my mind. Because for the really great players, they're probably bigger than the than the local pizza shop. They're probably potentially big enough for the National Pizza Hut ad campaign. And Pizza Hut, I believe, is or was one of the number one, or uh, sorry, the official partners of the NCAA. So, again, if somebody's a good enough player that enough people care about what they say, What they do, why not give them an honest paycheck for being talented and good and having a platform instead of essentially forcing people to go looking for money elsewhere because people are going to keep coming up to them and say, hey, you're worth more than they're giving you. You're worth more than a scholarship. You're worth more than this. You shouldn't have to wait, blah, blah, blah. And it's going to be hard for an 18 or 19-year-old to do that, to say no. And these elite athletes, they could take some of this experience they're getting as a pitch person, as an endorser, etc., as a public figure, they could take some of this unique experience they're getting, and they could actually do independent studies for course credit at their schools. They could submit a thesis on their, what their business plan was for their brand, or how their, what the development plan for their brand is, or what's the plan for them to think about after school, how they're going to continue to make money as either a public figure or in a different walk of life. Instead of them potentially having to take money dishonestly, they would get a chance to potentially start thinking about, who can I align with myself now from a financial advisor standpoint, et cetera? How can I learn about what I want to do when I get out of school to have a, have a career, to protect that career, and to protect the earnings I make during that career? And again, colleges could have economics professors granting uh, independent studies. They could be not only taking classes, but helping to write classes for other students who don't have that platform, about uh, what, what it was like to start a business as an 18 year old, and the business being you, your brand, yourself, your likeness. It just seems like it would never be perfect, of course not. Nothing will ever clean up anything in the world entirely. It's impossible to promise, but it does seem like a lot of good could come out of this, in addition to some money, and it would take the stigma out of maybe looking for some money, for being good at something. And again, because it's the third party, it's the sponsors paying, it actually keeps the playing field in theory level because there are certain schools that would have the money to pay athletes and there are certain schools that are already, most athletic departments in Division One are already losing money. They are already costing more to the university than they are bringing in. So clearly, they can't really afford to pay a lot of people. But there's going to be a natural market to use somebody's likeness and to have them endorse your products, which I think has nothing to do with being an amateur student-athlete and not, and everything to do with being a public figure and having control of your own face, your own name, your own likeness, your own brand. And I feel like it would get a lot of the people, a lot of the worst people who are trying to circumvent the rules, to get to these young student-athletes, to get to these young players, to get to their families, to funnel them to certain agents or whatever, it would get a lot of them out of the, out of the picture because we wouldn't need those middlemen. If we need them, I don't mean me or anybody I know. I just mean the royal we. They would be unneeded. I think these schools can really help young people learn how to build a brand, manage the money. They can get course credit towards graduation. I think that most likely could happen. And that just seems like a lot more in the spirit of helping young people develop and thrive as young adults than what's going on now. What's going on now is short-sighted, it's dishonest, it's unfair, and as always, it's exploitative of the kids. So let's let them use their likenesses and see where it goes. Outlandish theory, number one. Okay, this one's really going to get to a place where uh, a lot of people are going to have a lot of strong feelings. And again, I'm going to try to uh, keep it vanilla- oversimplified a little and just commentate on the points, which is um, the oversimplified reason in my mind that the students from Stoneman Douglas High School and in the aftermath of the shooting, the, oh, I think there's a couple a lot of reasons why this is, this time it's, it seems to be a little different for the NRA's typical response to what happens at the end of a school shooting. And again, typically there's a school shooting, Way too typically, in fact, because they're tragic and they're senseless and they're unneeded. And it needs to stop, in my opinion. I can't see anybody saying the opposite of that. We can't have people at school being in danger, period. But but typically over the last 10, 20, 80, whatever years, when a lobbying group, a strong lobbying group, it just doesn't have to be about the NRA for right, now, right this second, wants to uh, curtail the momentum against them, they just... They hunker down, they go right to their playbook, they put money, they get their talking heads talking, they get their politicians that they give money to talking, and they basically try to ride out the storm so that nothing changes. Uh, And this time it seems to be different. The Stoneman Douglas High School kids seem to be having a different impact, a profound impact, on the aftermath of this unfortunate shooting. And I think, number one, the students have been really smart about instead of fighting back against a faceless organization called the NRA, which, you know, that that has not worked yet, they're going after the elected officials who are on record as having accepted the NRA's money. And this has forced politicians into a very difficult position for them. I think it's a good position to be able to put people into because... That's how you enact change. But someone like Marco Rubio, he's a human. He's a face. He's someone we all know. He has to answer. He has to try to get reelected. So and what we learned during the campaign of 2016 is that Marco Rubio is lacking in charisma, especially in a debate setting or a town hall type forum. He just does. I mean, it's one of the reasons he didn't win the Republican nomination. Other people, including the current president, just had a better it factor, whether you like them or not, on TV than Marco Rubio does. He just kind of lacks that charisma. And on the other hand, Emma Gonzalez, who has been one of the most prominently uh, covered students to come out of Stoneman Douglas High School, on the other hand, in comparison to Marco Rubio, is incredibly charismatic and articulate. Not that Marco is not necessarily articulate, but I don't believe he's especially charismatic. And equally as important, she's armed with the truth. Emma Gonzalez and her very impressive classmates are handling this aftermath very different than folks in the past who have been survivors of mass shootings. For whatever reason, this group of students has been incredibly vocal. They have not sat on the sidelines. And they aren't letting the third party players on both sides of the issue be the ones who are debating in their typical ideological back and forth. These students have instead said, we are the survivors of this terrible tragedy. We were there. This isn't a political thing. We are real people. We were there. We were fortunate enough to survive. People we know and cared about and love were not fortunate enough, and you're not going to be able to change that narrative because we are not a third-party talking head. We were in it. We are first-person narrative. You cannot change the narrative. We were there, and the credibility is amazing. So I think that those are the incredibly oversimplified reasons that this time it seems to be different because you've got a bunch of young people who are committed. They're in front of it, And they're taking charge of the narrative, which, by the way, not only is they right, but they should. I think the key difference is they're not letting somebody else who wants to end gun violence or make things more restrictive, they're not letting somebody else, some so-called expert, do it for them to fight against the people who don't want to change anything. They're doing it themselves. That's my. I mean, it's not really how to take. I just think that's the difference. That's why it's making a difference, and we'll see where it ends up. Again, filibuster freestyle... tough to tackle tackle a subject like that when I clearly have my own feelings. Um, But I think we can all agree our schools should be safe, period, end of story. And I think what these students are doing is saying we are not going to let what happened have happened in vain because we were there and we're here to talk about it. And I would just say, I tip my cap to them. I've been incredibly impressed. That's all I've got. Leave it there. Filibusterfreestyle.com. Hopefully, everybody's still standing. I know the NCAA and the NRA aren't exactly topics that are uh, light and fluffy. Um, and um, that's just the way it goes sometimes. Anyway, speaking of light and fluffy, churning gears, I think one of the next freestyles we will do will involve um, some rock, more Rock and Roll Hall of Fame things. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction concert. Will be coming out this spring. For those of you who know, we covered it extensively the nomination process back in the winter, uh, the fall of 2017, the early winter of 2018. So look on the horizon for that. And check out my boy Roscoe P on the Filibuster Freestyle um, Facebook page. He's got a 60 second, 60 second cover. They're really fun. And you know, I'm going to try to do one of those with him at some point soon. Again, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.